like that's the real stuff, right? It's one thing to talk about remote and distributed work. It's another thing entirely to build a company where people love to work and love each other, regardless of where they're located. Right. And so for me, Xander media was, uh, sort of an homage to like, I don't know how to do digital storytelling at scale, but there are so many compelling human stories that need to be told. That was Xander media founder and CEO, Robin Xander. In this episode, Robin and I sat down to discuss his career path, his journey in both creativity and storytelling, video production work in his Xander Media production house, and his new documentary, Parenthood at Work. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. It's time to let go of the past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency design from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional transactional search models with our flat fee pricing structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Academy is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's HR practitioners and leaders through the AI Learning Lab, peer learning cohort programs, community, and a range of resources to support their growth. You can learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Robin Zander. Robin is the founder and CEO of Zander Media. He is an event organizer, he's a community curator, he's a podcaster, he's an acrobat. He's a lot of things, so we're going to unpack some of that in this episode. I also do want to mention, if you've seen the uh, intro to the Amplify Academy video, that was Robin's team's work. So we've also collaborated uh, in video production uh, and some of the, um, the the bites and interviews that you may see in the Amplify Academy are also his team's work. So excited to sit down with him and talk about your career. So Robin, man, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Lars. It's really a pleasure. I've been a fan of the pod for uh, many years now uh, through mutual connections in the people landscape. And so it's a real honor to sit down with you. Yeah, well, that's kind, and uh, and I probably didn't do your intro nearly the justice uh, that it merits. So I'd love to have you maybe to start uh, and introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, I mean, I also never know quite how to begin. Um, I have often referred to myself as a professional dilettante. Um, I feel like for all that I'm a strategist when it comes to in a business, how to build a business, I haven't been particularly strategic about the steps in my career. It feels like taking a step towards something I'm interested in learning and stumbling half the time. But, you know, I've had a couple of wins along the way. Um, so in 2016, I could probably start there. I, uh, was given ownership of an ecosystem called responsive org, which was all about building the future of work and what does the future of work mean? Sort of the premise of the rate of changes accelerating, um, which obviously we've seen to play out in, uh, the last handful of years. 
then also a couple of months later, I uh, was given an opportunity to start up a restaurant with no prior restaurant experience in the neighborhood I had lived in for 10 years in San Francisco. So 2016 to 2019, I was simultaneously running a B2B future of work HR business conference and a brick and mortar uh, restaurant, cafe and event space called Robin's Cafe. And I feel like maybe that dichotomy sums up my career pretty well, which is trying to figure out how to do things I don't know how to do on a very epically short timeline and playing maybe equally in, in the dirt and sort of high level sort of curating, right. In, in the case of responsive, what is, what is the future of work look like in the best case scenario while, you know, employing baristas and serving avocado toast and, you know, dealing with the complexities of running a, a small brick and mortar business. That's a lot to, to learn and a lot to learn on your own. And, that, you know, it's interesting, too. I think, you know, you, you have other aspects from your career that even predate 2016. I understand why you started there. But, you know, in kind of looking at your background, you know, one of the common denominators that, that I find in the work that you are currently doing and the work that you've done is creativity. Uh, right. And I mean, even, even taking over a brick and mortar presence, the way that you approach that, uh, and the way, especially that you took that on, having never done that before, uh, you know, it lends itself to being able to be a problem solver, but a, but a creative problem solver because traditional solutions don't tend to operate in the places where you operate. And so where does that passion for creativity, where does that curiosity come from? Yeah, it's fun. I'm I'm still hanging in this idea of dichotomy. So my mother um, is a professional visual artist uh, and throughout my whole life has spent easily 40, 50 hours a week in her artist studio doing mezzotints and uh, oil on canvas paintings. My dad simultaneously was running with his sister, my aunt, an environmental consulting firm pretty much for my whole life. And the building of the business, which I kind of grew up in, you know, helping to sort paperwork or whatever, a family business, and then seeing my mother teach art and practice her artistry, I never said, you know, growing up, I want to be an artist or I want to be a business person. But that exposure to both, I think, has really shaped a lot of what I've done since. So what were you like as a kid? You know, <laughs> let, let, let's go back. I mean, growing up in that environment where you have the kind of entrepreneurial uh, and environmental sense from your father, the creative and artistic sense from your mother. What was, what was young Robin all about? Hypersensitive and in a time and in a town where being a sensitive boy was not welcome. So I was bullied a lot as a kid. I was scared a lot as a kid. Um, you know, home was safe and going out into the world and sort of being with my peers um, got increasingly complex from like third to ninth grade. And at the same time, I think there was an element of creativity. So my first business was Robin's Pumpkin Patch. Um, my father kind of at his core is a gardener, which is how he got into environmental sciences. And so he, when I was four or five, had me plant pumpkin seeds. Three months later, after weeding each you know plant really carefully, they started to grow pumpkins. And I, at his guidance, sold pumpkins from whatever, five to 15 in my local neighborhood. Very, I mean, literally in the dirt. And... Then to market that with my friends, I would rec recruit some friends, stand on the corner of our street, dress up in a scarecrow costume, no skin showing. It looked like a big white face, eye holes, right? This for slits, uh, straw coming out of my, you know, my sleeves, big boots. You can't see it's a person. And when a car drove by, like gesture, right? Pointing this way, this way. Um, and people would stop and be like, is that a robot? What's going on? Let's go look. And then they'd leave money in the tin and walk away with pumpkins for Halloween. 
Um, and so it was fun, right? I've never actually thought of that before, but that creativity, my mom and I like drew fancy, uh, signs advertising Robin's pumpkin patch in the, in the neighborhood. So that, that, that duality too, of, you know, creatively marketing something that was like, I remember crying as my dad said, we have to weed all of these plants. And I'm like looking at a hundred plants that all need to like be well cared for and well watered if I wanted to sell the pumpkins. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting too, because even that example, you're blending those worlds, right? The the artistic and creative way of how do you actually uh, garner attention to sell these pumpkins, obviously the business sense of like what you need to do to cultivate and maintain and, and prepare. Um, I want to come back to a point, you know, you mentioned kind of being uh, a sensitive boy in an environment that wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't built for that. And I mean, you know, I know certainly I think the way we think about sensitivity, particularly as men today, hopefully is very different than maybe we did in an era when we were growing up. But how did you, how did you learn to, I wouldn't even say overcome that, but like adapt and, and, you know, survive is an extreme term and it's not the right one, but, but be able to kind of adapt in that environment, knowing that about yourself and knowing how that part of you wasn't, uh, received by kind of the outside world. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole podcast episode, documentary <laughs> film just there. Um, I don't have a clean answer for you. Like, I wish I could just point to one thing and say, oh, well, I did this and then it was fixed. Um, and it's always a work in process, right? I had a conversation with my therapist a year ago and he was like, hey, sensitivity applied to your health means that you don't get sick because you're taking care of yourself before you get sick. And it was just like a breakthrough moment because still there are places in my life where this idea of being very sensitive is you know, ties into toxicity is, is I perceive it as a weakness. A bunch of moments of grace is I think my answer to that question. When I was in seventh grade, I was really deeply depressed. I walked around all day, every day with a black hood over my head. Um, I didn't talk to anybody like I did okay in school, but I really just got by. Um, uh, and my mom saw that and she took me out of school and I homeschooled for a year. And I'd say that that saved my life and really changed the trajectory of my life. At 18, I uh, quit cross country. I'd been a, a runner for 10 years competitively, pretty good. Um, and in my family growing up, you always had to have a physical practice. We didn't call it that, but you had to have a sport or something physical you did. My dad was a runner. My sister played tennis and a bunch of other things. My mom had her aerobics class. So I, I walked off the team, really burnt out. I'd been running for 10 years and I just couldn't deal anymore and opened up a phone book and flipped to the G's and I don't even remember why, but started calling gyms, gymnastics gyms. And the first five were all like, how old are you? Are you calling for your kid sibling? Like, are you pre-Olympics? Like, no, we, we can't, you know, this was whatever the nineties, right? It wasn't acro yoga on every corner. Um, there wasn't an accessibility to sort of novel movement that there is today. But the, the sixth gym, this was in Petaluma, California was called still around called Redwood Empire Gymnastics. And they said, yeah, we have an adult class, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m., come on down. And that, that, I think it was a Tuesday night that I called them. I walked in and I just, like, it was a it was a life-changing moment. Again, a moment of grace because I saw someone over there doing double back tucks on the trampoline. I saw someone over there doing uh, giants on a high bar and said, oh, wow, this is this is for me. There, there are other moments. The cafe even was one, right? Recognizing that my sensitivity of being able to be emotionally available, be empathetic to my employees was a competitive advantage in business, right? That was a huge turning point for me with the cafe. Um, 
but learning gradually and over time and through a lot of inner work that sensitivity and being self-aware is a strength and perhaps is the biggest strength. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I'm glad you you learned that lesson because I, I agree. And I, but I do think that we're hardwired to see it the opposite way. And it's really unfortunate because I think it causes a lot of people, and again, you know, uh, not to kind of gender these statements because they apply to everybody, but in particular, you know, men, I think, are, are taught often to not um, feel their emotions, not, not, uh, not share their emotions, to suppress them. And, um, and that is toxic. And frankly, that is, you know, a, a leading killer because it has a lot of kind of knock on effects when you're not able to, to deal with that. And so I think that's a, you know, d- despite the hardship that you had to, you know, endure as, as a young boy, I think as you've grown and being able to maybe see it through a different lens and see it for the strength that it is, you know, I'm glad that that was a journey. That was the, you know, kind of where the journey led you. Um, discovering gymnastics at 18, that's kind of a formative time in one's life. Did you, uh, did you have aspiration? Like how, I know you were a competitive runner, so that competitive athleticism was in you. Did you, did you envision, you know, gymnastics would be a career? Was it a hobby? Like what role did it play in your life? I've never been good at saying, I want to go do a thing and then not dreaming about doing and striving to do the thing at the highest level for better or for worse. Um, so, uh, a couple of months after joining the gymnastics gym, I went and saw Alegria, uh, by Cirque du Soleil. It was my first ever like real circus show. And I immediately wanted to enroll with the Ecole Nationale de Cirque, which is the Montreal based Cirque training school. Um, I had already been accepted to read college. I was like committed to myself to doing an undergrad degree, but the plan was as soon as I was done with undergrad to go uh, audition for the Ecole Nationale de Cirque. It's a longer story. I ended up breaking my neck on a trampoline my last year of college. Um, and so it was a rehab from that to kind of another moment of grace and, and another part of my life story. Um, but I'm in better shape today and more capable physically than I've ever been at any previous point in my life core to who I am is practicing movement. I tend to train about two hours a day, seven days a week. I have a little, uh, acrobatic crew that I train with in the Bay area. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I've moved past the desire to like, I mean, sometimes when I'm giving a talk on stage, I'll like do a backflip or I have a lot of overlap between peak performance and movement and peak performance and business. I think there's, there's enormous commonality and, and what we can learn from one applied to the other. But yeah, I don't, I don't, miss performing as an acrobat. I did have uh, a lot of opportunity to perform as an acrobat after I recovered from my neck injury. Um, probably my biggest was as one of six acrobats with the San Francisco opera, um, in front of thousands and thousands of people doing six hour acrobatic shows. Um, it was a real, real honor. Um, but yeah, movement has always been, I, I, I like to say it's always been my first language. You know, it's interesting. And so, you know, kind of following your career, you mentioned 2016 was kind of an inflection point for you as you took over Responsive, but also took over Robin's Cafe. And, you know, I'm curious, you did that for three years, um, you know, before starting your your current business, Andermedia. Looking at, you know, those are very different businesses, even from what you're doing now. Like if you had to go back and maybe look at the the experience you gained at both Robin's Cafe and in Responsive, um, is there, is there a kind of a notable lesson that you learned in those endeavors that you've applied to Xander media? Sure. Totally. Yeah. Applied from the cafe and responsive to Xander media. I think it's, um, 
it's a mix of what we've been talking about, the, the creative itch, right? The, the form of expression that was even that little boy, right? I haven't thought of it in years, but gesturing this way, this way to people as they're driving by to the pumpkin patch, right? Like I, uh, never published, but half wrote a cookbook while I was running the cafe, just because like I needed a little bit of creative itch, um, tied into that business, um, and responsive, right? We were talking very aspirationally about the future of work. And then in the cafe, I was very tactically applying those principles. The, the backstory for how I came to Xander Media out of those two businesses is uh, I sold Robin's Cafe on Craigslist in late 2018. I had never set out to, to be a restaurateur. That wasn't the aspiration. Someone gave me an opportunity to open up a second location and I spent a couple of weeks thinking about it and realized I didn't really want a second location and ultimately didn't really want a first one. So nine months and a bunch of lawyers later, I, I sold it um, and woke up a couple of weeks after the sale in a cold sweat and realized I'd made a mistake. And the mistake was not enough digital storytelling about what it actually takes to build a restaurant while doing it, right? Because I came in with complete naivete. I had never, I'd worked restaurants, right? My first job out of college was at a restaurant, but like I had never calculated food costs, right? I had never built a staff of employees in San Francisco, right? Who, who are responsible for creating an incredible experience for our customers. And if I could show you both for my own like personal gratification and from a marketing asset for the cafe, the first time my nephew walked in and his eyes got big because I owned a soft serve machine, right? Or like one of the most sobering moments at the cafe was I had this employee named Frank who walked in, I don't know, week three or five of the cafe. He was a chef across town, totally illegal, like came behind the bar, started making food and serving our customers even before we had actually formally hired him. Uh, and a couple of weeks later, no call, no showed super common restaurant industry, um, reached out to him, reached out to him. A week went by, found his brother on Facebook and his brother called me and said, Hey, my, my brother, Frank was just hit and killed by a train. And how do you, how do you plan for that in a business, right? How do you build a robust people infrastructure that, that plans for an employee dying? Like that's the real stuff right? It's one thing to talk about remote and distributed work. It's another thing entirely to build a company where people love to work and love each other, regardless of where they're located, right? And so for me, Xander Media was uh, sort of an homage to like, I don't know how to do digital storytelling at scale, but there are so many compelling human stories that need to be told. There are so many people like, like me with the cafe building something incredible and people want to hear those stories and it's good for the business, right? If I had in 2016 started advertising on Insta stories, that was the first year Insta created Instagram stories and showed little vignettes of what it actually felt like to work behind the counter, we would have crushed, right? And we did. We had 10,000 people on our newsletter list, right? Like I, I am a good marketer, but we could have done so much more. And so Xander Media is the rest of my life project or a rest of my life project to do storytelling at scale against causes that matter. As an HR practitioner navigating the new world of work, your ability to learn, connect with resources, and build your global peer community is essential to your success. That's why I launched the Amplify Academy. The Amplify Academy was built from the ground up to help HR practitioners and people leaders efficiently and effectively connect with the diverse learning needs and resources for today and tomorrow. 
There are three components to the Academy. The Learning Lab is an AI learning platform that includes a range of courses, resources, templates, content, and more to support the learning needs around modern HR practices for today and tomorrow. The Amplify Academy Slack community is designed to help you build your global network equity and peer set with practitioners around the world who share your vision for progressive HR practices. And the Amplify Academy cohorts are four-week immersive peer learning programs designed to help people leaders build the skills and network they need to succeed as an HR leader in today's environment. Cohort students also learn from world-class people leaders from Katie Burke, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, Brian Power, AJ Thomas, and so many more. Want to supercharge your people team? Be sure to check out the Academy for Teams product, which is designed to give you and your people teams access to over 400 resources, the full community, and more across the Amplify Academy. Learn more at amplifytalent.com slash academy. Now, back to the show. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I think when you when you use that example to a cafe, you know, we, today we often talk about, you know, building in public, which is something I certainly embrace. And I think a lot of um, a lot of interesting kind of builders and creators out there, um, they they adopt that. And there, there's so much to be gained from it. It's not just like, hey, look at this thing I'm building. But when you're building it uh, in public with a community in parallel, getting feedback in real time, iterating, testing ideas, right? Like that's invaluable then to just do something, have it ready to go, and then be like, hey, here's the thing I did. And 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 usually, you know, that that thinking is applied to, to digital products or online products uh, or, or even experiences, but you know, it can be applied to brick and mortar as well. And it's interesting, kind of in hindsight, thinking how you would have looked maybe differently about uh, approaching that. You know, I know kind of we talked about creativity being in your blood. Well, so is storytelling. Um, and I do want to talk to you about your new documentary, uh, Parenthood at Work. But before I even get there, like looking back and maybe this question applies more to your work in Xander Media or any of your editorial projects and, you know, books, podcasts, everything else. Well, when you're kind of in the storytelling business, um, you know, you, you, you generally, I think some, you know, you have, you have an expectation going in. It meets that expectation. You know, maybe it alters in some ways. Maybe it falls a bit short. But every now and then something happens and it just blows you away. It was completely unexpected uh, or is like deeply emotional and powerful. And you, like weeks later, you're still thinking about it like that. Yeah, kind of or story. years, years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's less a story that I helped to tell. Right. All of my stories, you know, I was thinking in, in preparing for sitting down with you today, like why HR? Right. Like I am I am not an HR professional. And yet I'm friends with a lot of folks in HR and I care passionately about the space. Um, and so the stories that really resonate with me the most are the stories of people whose lives have changed because of positive experiences in business. And I don't mean a founder got rich because they sold their company, right? I mean, my employee land at Robin's Cafe, I was... Um, maybe six or nine months into the cafe, came in to get some mail as land was closing. And he, he deliberately like stopped what he was doing and pulled me aside uh, and said, hey, Robin, this is the very best job I've ever had. And he was a late 20s skater. He, he was an aspiring pro skater who really had only ever worked restaurant and cafe jobs, right? Barista jobs, um, you know, not quite minimum wage, just above minimum wage, but like 
you know, not guaranteed a certain number of hours, probably not, you know, we, we weren't at the time able to offer healthcare benefits. Like it's not, you know, it's, it's a day job. It's a hustle. And that moment when he pulled me aside was just a mic drop moment for me. Right. When I think about the transformation. So another person, right. Again, it's these HR stories for me. Um, Angela, who's our, uh, head of video at Xander media, um, was an unpaid video intern in the last year of Robin's cafe. I had written a Craigslist ad saying, Hey, I want to do some more video storytelling at the cafe. This is the thing I run. She came in. I remember, you know, dropped her resume pretty soon started coming in with her girlfriend and just like getting some, you know, some coffee from the cafe. And we, we never really like cracked the code of digital storytelling while I was doing the cafe, but like we started to try and we've been working together now, what, almost five years. She's our head of video. Like I look at the creative work that she's doing and the person that she's become. And I, that's not, you know, that's, that's a credit to her. She's done that work. Um, and so, yeah, who, who do people become as a result of the quality of work, the quality of organization they get to work within? I think those are really the stories that stand out to me. And we, we see them everywhere, right? Um, I see transformation in you, Lars, through running the podcast, right? Like you're better and better at telling personal stories, at soliciting and, and drawing out compelling answers from your guests, right, over the last couple of years. That's, those are the stories that stand out to me is, is who is the transformation of people through the work that we do. Well, it's kind of you to share and, and I, I appreciate that. And, and I agree of just the, the storytelling and, and, you know, like being in, in this position as a podcast host or a, a video producer, movie producer, uh, whatever it might be, it, it's, it's a privilege to be able to, to, to spotlight and share these stories. Like the work we get to do is, is, you know, yes, it's, you know, personally, deeply meaningful. And I think, uh, you know, when we're able to really bring those meaningful stories out, uh, it's, it's deeply meaningful for the guest and the audience. Um, but I know that, uh, you know, I imagine you do as well. I know I, I take a lot from it. I learn a lot from it. I, I'm inspired by um, hearing those stories and, and whether it's, you know, overcoming adversity, whether it's just thinking differently about uh, a problem that, you know, everybody else is coming at it this way and you come at it this way and discover some amazing things, failing spectacularly, right? And what you learn from that, I just think it's just, uh, it's such a privilege to be able to to be trusted with those stories um, and to be able to kind of uh, share them and experience them. And and that, you know, is a great segue into your latest project. So the, your new film, uh, Parenthood at Work, um, debuts this month. So A, congratulations. I know that's a huge accomplishment. Um, but tell me more about it. Like wh where did the idea for this film come from? Yeah. So responsive conference 2019, we hosted the conference at Zappos. Um, there's a backstory there. Tony Shea, uh, rest in peace, attended my year one conference in 2016, turned around, invited me to kind of tour Zappos and get to know his ecosystem. And then, you know, through his entourage invited us to, to run the conference at Zappos HQ in 2019. And one of the the topics, right, my goal always in curating responsive has been what what is where where are we going? Right. Not what are what is, you know, Forbes and Business Insider and right the Zeitgeist talking about right now, but what are we not talking about that we should be? And so like I interviewed Joel Gascoigne, the CEO of Buffer on stage in 2016, talking about, you know, building a remote and distributed company. Like, where are we headed? Um, and in 2019, one of the conversations that I was hearing along, you know, 
the people lines, the people leader lines was parenthood. And what does it mean to be a working parent or a, a working caregiver? And in many ways, those are, you know, less public, right? We don't see them, but they impact, right? I'm not yet a parent. You are, right? Like, you know, really concretely what that means and how to balance and what those trade-offs are. Um, and so flash forward February, 2020, we made the difficult decision to pause responsive conference because of the COVID pandemic and said, well, we run a video company. What if we took the same energy and really focused on a specific topic of the future of work? What's that topic? And, uh, sort of as a creative team, right. Jonathan, who is the, the writer, um, and the director of the documentary episode on parenthood and work said, Hey, I'm, I'm a working parent. What if we interview a lot of working parents who are HR professionals, we know through the responsive ecosystem and tell their story. Um, we, as a team had never done documentary before, uh, in the first year, none of the interviews we did were uh, in person, right? So all of them were remote. We did them via zoom, via complicated, like digital setup. Um, but all shot on like very, you know, 4k, very high definition. Um, so Jonathan was at home with one camera on him in Austin and Merritt Anderson was in San Jose, California with another camera on her. And we, you know, did the whole thing. Um, huge labor of love and a really, really compelling story. And I'm just, thrilled with, uh, how that episode has turned out. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think when you get into, uh, an editorial project like that, you probably have some preconceived ideas of how it will go, how it will flow, what you will learn. And in some ways you track with that. And in other ways you're like, Oh wow. Like I, this wasn't even on my mind. And yet this is a theme that is coming across. Was there anything like that for you in the production of this movie or maybe, you know, something that maybe wasn't on your radar going in, but as through the course of the interviews you filmed uh, and the stories that were shared, something that really resonated with you by the end. Um, I think of some of the best interviewers in the world. And, and one of the people who comes to mind is Terry Gross. Um, and the idea that, that I've heard Terry articulate of helping people to feel so comfortable that they're not secrets, but truths that are maybe less told come out. And so I think one of the strategic advantages that we as, as Xander Media have always held is, first of all, working with great people, right, in terms of our clients or in terms of the folks that we're interviewing and have the privilege to sit down with, and then creating a culture internal to Xander Media, at least, you know, I strive to, where, where our clients are asking after my employees, right, where it's not just cogs in a machine conducting interviews and turning it into something, but creating a level of safety and trust and camaraderie and love, we don't talk enough, I think, about love at work, um, where where there is bond, where there is kindness, and that that really elicits the best stories. Yeah, I mean, I think that environment and that Terry Gross reference is spot on because if you don't have that level of comfort, um, you're going to have your guard up to some extent, and you're not going to be able to go to the places that I think. Um, really shine a light. And, and you know, the, the topic of parenthood at work, I mean, for those of you that are watching and your parents, like, you know, that this has been a complex roller coaster, especially, I mean, you know, parenting can be hard under the best circumstances and we've not been operating under the best circumstances for a couple of years now. And then that's, uh, it, it, it's hard. It's the hardest job, you know, you'll, you'll have as a human, it can be the most rewarding, but it can also be the most difficult. Right. And I think that that, you know, that that reality is something that, 
uh, you know, there are some topics where you tend to often hear like the shinier side of the topic and not the more difficult side of the topic. You know, you can apply that to HR and talk about employer branding, right? Like we're great at sell selling the sizzle. Uh, we're not often great at, you know, sharing the warts and the bullshit that we have to deal with. And every job has it. Uh, right. But that's just not typically part of that equation. It should be, but it's not. And I think storytelling has a lot of analogies in that, too, where if you if you don't have that level of trust and comfort, you may not be able to get to some of that really meeting uh, meaty, uh, interesting uh, stuff that I think tells such a, a, a more kind of holistic view of the role. Um, for, for the audience who wants to watch the documentary, uh, where can they find it? How can they how can they check it out? So anywhere I am on social, um, which is pretty much everywhere, it'll be linked to. Um, so Robin P. Zander, Z-A-N-D-E-R on social. Um, it's also linked to from responsive.org. That's responsive.org. Um, it's also linked to from the, the Zander Media website. Um, and so any anywhere, if you want to just Google parenthood at uh, work, Xander Media, it'll also pop up. Okay, well, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I saw it. It's great. You should definitely watch it. And uh, again, I think whether you're a parent or not, uh, if you're in HR, you will have employees who are. And so kind of just understanding that experience uh, is it will be valuable for you as a practitioner. Um, what's next for you, right? I feel like you're always building something. You're always creating. Uh, this has been a huge labor of love that is out now. And I know there's, you know, marketing and promotion events associated with that. But, uh, you know, setting this documentary aside for a moment, what's what's on your radar? What's next? Yeah. I mean, I, I think of myself as firefighter in chief at Sander Media. There's always whatever that is, right? Whatever it is we're building. So, you know, I've been blessed to, to run this organization, but also there's been plenty of struggles, HR and otherwise, over the last year. We've, you know, quadrupled in size, both in headcount and in revenue in the last 12 months. And now we're looking at a looming recession and I'm sort of trying to plan for that. We're bootstrapped, right? No outside funding. So it's really just like figuring it out. Um, and the quality of my creative team has continued to evolve. You know, the documentary as an example of like, we could not have done that five years ago, right? Um, I couldn't have led it. The team couldn't have done it. And so we're just continuing to iterate, really using my team to say like, what do, what do we want to be doing, right? What is the future of responsive conference, which will come back in some form in 2023, right? We'll probably do more episodes, um, on related topics, uh, you know, outside of parenthood, but, but tied into the future of work. And then, uh, my own personal brand, you know, I'm, I'm always creating. That's really part of where Xander Media came from too, is like, what are the stories that I want to tell? And that's, that's soul searching. That's sitting down with myself and saying like, you know, given the constraints, um, good and bad, right? Like time, energy, money, et cetera. What, what are the stories that I myself feel called to tell that I don't other see other people doing? Um, and so that's, you know, that's, I think what this fall is for me, we're, we're, you know, so delighted to, I think all of us see the documentary out in the world, continue the client work that, that Xander Media is known for and, and ask ourselves the question, what's next? Well, Robin, I'm, I'm excited to follow what's next, uh, as you continue down that path and that journey. Um, it's been exciting to learn more about your background and, and your career and congrats again on the documentary and all of your work. And, um, Keep pushing, man. I, I love following your work and seeing what you build. So uh, happy to happy to keep tracking that 
and uh, be excited to see whatever you create next. Thank you, Lars. And just a, a shout back to you in terms of people telling stories that matter. It's been just an honor to, to follow your journey and you know get to know you through Shared Ecosystems and your podcast. Um, the stories that you're highlighting, right? It's, it's the work that matters too. So thanks for the work that you do. Yeah, well, that's kind of you. Thank you. And um, uh, I'm excited to see what's to come. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.